0: All right. We're going to go ahead and get started. Hello. Hello. Um, We're going to go ahead and get started. I know a number of you are in line. Y'all can stay in line. Listen in line. Shh. The singing helps. The singing helps. It really did. Thank you. Um, We're going to go ahead and get started. Once again, if you still want to get stuff to eat, stuff to drink, you're welcome to stay in line. I know it can be a little bit loud in here at times, them grinding the coffee and stuff like that, just you'll have to listen a little more carefully. But I want us to go ahead and get started because I I want us to be sure we have plenty of time for the Q&A afterwards because I bet there's going to be a lot of questions. Um, Let me kind of tell you the format for tonight. I'm going to speak for about 50 minutes, uh, probably go just a little bit after 8 o'clock. We're going to take a break, and then uh, coming back from the break, we'll spend the rest of the time doing question and answer. The, the topic we're going to look at tonight is faith in the digital age. Um, we'll address, you know, those crucial questions like would Jesus have used Facebook, Facebook, um, if so, would you be his friend? Would he have to ask you, you know, only the chosen or his friends? Or could you have asked him? Uh, questions like if, uh, if TV was around, would Jesus have gone live, broadcasted his message to the masses? Was that what he was about? Um, how has technology affected the way that we relate to God? How does, has it affected the way we relate to one another? Um, is technology or social media a neutral thing? Is it evil? Is it good? Um, We want to look at all the facets of that. How does it help our spiritual lives? How can it hurt our spiritual lives? Um, Now, some of these questions obviously are not going to have a chapter and a verse in your Bible or your Bible app, Um, but you can look at the trajectory of Scripture, I think, to get a good feel for things as to what what God has to say about uh, the things we make and how we relate to him in general. Um, I'm going to leave a lot of the application process of this to the question and answer time. So what I'm going to kind of do here is paint some theological pictures here, paint some big stuff. And then afterwards, if you want to know how the rubber meets the road and things like that, um, be sure to write down the questions and uh, ask. Everybody hear me okay? All right. Is that a yes? Can we turn down the music a little bit in there? That'd be fantastic. Um, All right, well, why did I decide to teach on this topic? And I guess I should answer what qualifies me to teach on this topic. Uh, I'm what you would describe as a digital immigrant. I'm gonna use that term, I'm a digital immigrant. I'm 39 years old. And so I was not born in the digital age. I, I have had to immigrate into the digital age. Uh, my grandmother is what I would call a digital foreigner, um, in which you know she has no knowledge whatsoever of the digital age. Uh, she was born in 1911. I bet a number of you are what I would call digital natives which means you've just grown up with social media, you've, you've grown up with Facebook, uh, many of you have, and so this is your world, you feel very comfortable in it. Um, and so I'm gonna use that kind of language throughout, a digital foreigner, a digital immigrant, which I am, and a digital native. Now when a foreigner comes to our country, um, they're confused by a lot of things. Picture some money from Uganda coming over and maybe spending Thanksgiving Day with you. All right, and so Thanksgiving Day you gorge yourself silly. You just eat tons and tons of food. You know you've got to have your uh, your cranberry you know salad or whatever it is, and uh, you've got to have your turkey. You've got to have all this stuff. You just eat and you eat and you eat, and then you know, after you have to loosen your the belt. You go into the living room, you sit on the couch, you turn on the TV and you watch people wearing helmets just you know, hit the crud out of one another for hours. And so just imagine this foreigner, this guy from Uganda, he's watching this scene and he asks, so what, what is Thanksgiving Day? And you say, well, I mean, obviously Thanksgiving Day is the day you know when the pilgrims came and they survived the winter. And because they survived the winter and God gave them a good harvest, they, uh, they had a special feast in which they gave thanks to God. And the foreigner would look at you and be like, and so, so why do you celebrate it like this? Well, why do you just have a feast until you're committing gluttony and, and watch a bunch of people on TV, you know, hitting each other? And, and if I was asked that, my response would be, well because that's just what we do. (laughs) This is what I grew up doing. But I need to hear his question. Because I just grew up doing this and yet the reasons I'm doing it, I don't know why. And it really is so far removed from its original purpose. And I need to have that foreigner voice in my life. Now, an immigrant would come in and they might ask the very same questions, see some of the same kind of problems, but they're not going to go home. Their, their interest is, I want to understand this holiday and see how I can make it better. Maybe incorporate some of the things from my land into this culture as well. And maybe we could form something together, beautiful, something really good. I say that because I, I think a lot of us are digital natives. You've grown up with technologies. You've grown up with social medias. You've just grown up with things. And you've never really had to ask the question, why? Why? And then you know you get some old fogey who comes along, <laughs> some foreigner's like, why do you do this? And you're like, well, just because. And I'm not immigrant, I'm, I'm a foot in and I'm a foot out. Um, I went through uh, college without the internet. Kind of hard to believe, but there was no internet when I went through college. When I was getting my masters, the internet was around. And I finally got an email account. Um, so I was doing college ministry actually without social media for a while, then with social media. And so, one of the reasons I think that people my age are, are somewhat have a unique perspective on this is because we've been in both worlds. I've done ministry to college students before this kind of digital social media explosion, and I've done it after. And so I've seen the good and I've seen the bad that comes with that. And so we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you a brief history of technology. Um, and when I mean brief, this is going to be brief, but we're going to go back over the last 200 years so we could kind of see the trajectory of this stuff. In 1867... Laura Ingalls Wilder was born. Who knows who Laura Ingalls Wilder is? All right, good. All right, I'm not that old. All right, Little House on the Prairie Girl. All right, that's 1867. I want you to picture the world in which she was born into, all right? You know, there's, there's the little shack. There's the little barn. There's, she gets around horse and wagon. There's no electricity. Um, very simple farming life. All right when she died 90 years later, Russia had just sent a dog to orbit around the earth. So the world into which she was born and the world in which she died were two completely different worlds because of technology. So much changed in that 90-year period. And let me tell you, The 90-year period from 1957, which is when she died, to 2047, we're going to see even greater changes than she saw in her lifetime. In 1801, and in all of history before 1801, information never traveled faster than a horse could carry it which is pretty astonishing to think about. You know, the great pharaohs of old, great kingdoms, Roman Empire, all that stuff. They used the same speed, they had the same speed in which they could convey information as, as people did, as Paul Revere did, as people did in 1801. It could only travel as fast as a horse. Even by 1861, and that's kind of the height of the Pony Express, um, It took 10 days to move a letter from Missouri to California at at, the top speed that information could travel, 10 days from Missouri to California. And I just kind of like to think of, you know, the messages that we would send, you know, you you, kind of hand a guy a message in 10 days, they're traveling as fast as they can, they get to California and... um, like one of the last messages I got on Facebook, I just looked at it and it said, "Boy, I love coffee." You know, can you imagine like traveling ten days? Hey, Joel loves coffee. You know, and they write down a little message and they give it back, and they're coming back ten days, and they go, "He likes it," you know. And it's, it's a twenty-day, tra- you know, transaction there, and and what we do all the time, just in a blink of the eye. Things radically changed in 1844. With the telegram, Morse code, this is, this is when we really start seeing a huge change. The telegram grew so fast that by 1870, we were connected to India, we were connected to Australia. So what used to take months and months of travel by boat, now seconds. Um, and it not only changed the way we communicated, it changed information itself. Now, with the telegram, it changed the way we viewed information. Because before the telegram, almost all the information we would receive, we would read about in the newspaper, or people would tell one another, almost all of it was local. And almost all of it was useful. And so, if you were to pick up a paper from that time, it would tell you about local crops. It would tell you about the local soils. It would tell you about the local government, maybe some of the local businesses. But it was all going to be information local and things that you could use. Then the telegram completely changed that. Because now we could get information from great distances, just like that. And... Uh, So newspapers began reporting on events that were no longer local and no longer had any useful information whatsoever. Um, It quickly became entertainment. The more entertaining the story, the more the newspapers could sell. Um, It it no longer served as a resource in which to solve a problem. Um, I was reading uh, something that described it as this. Um, It was news from nowhere Addressed to no one in particular giving people much to talk about but little to act on which of course I think is what we see today um, on steroids with the internet there is much to talk about I hate the fact that I know that the cast of Modern Family is asking for more money I, I don't really care they're, you know, they live where? In California. I, I don't have any connection with them. It has no relevance whatsoever in my life, yet I know for some reason that they're asking for more money. It's not useful to me, but it's there. And so this is what is happening now. There's a lot for us to talk about, but there's little for us to act on. Um, as a matter of fact, a few days ago, I tried not to hear the outcome of the women's gymnastics Um, I tried so hard. I was like, I want to watch it tonight on TV. I'm going to try not to. And that lasted about three hours before finally I found out. So we, we live in an age now that a sporting event can happen across the ocean that I actually care little about, and I can't avoid hearing about it. All right, I can't avoid it. The news will find me. This technology is advancing at an exponential rate, not a linear rate. You know, linear is a, a kind of a straight line here. Technology is not advancing in a straight line. It's advancing in an exponential line. Um, how many of y'all have an iPhone? Anybody here? iPhone? Okay. Um, just so you know, I, the Lord was trying to humble me. My phone died yesterday, and I... I I still carry it around for some reason. You can't really call me on it. Uh, And I'm going to have to probably get, you know, some kind of smartphone. And part of my pride is just going to die. And I just want to go ahead and put that out there, that I will probably be purchasing a smartphone uh, tomorrow or so. But your iPhone, even if you have the first edition of the iPhone, has 128,000 times more memory than any of the Apollo spaceships that went to the moon. I mean, can you believe that? What you hold in your hand has 128,000 times more memory than what sent people to the moon. And when you look at processor speed, it's, it's off the charts, what you have in your hand. Technology is just exploding at an exponential rate. And so if this exponential curve continues as it has continued for the last 200 years... Then by the year 2045, you'll reach what you know, some of you will probably know and have heard about, the point of singularity. And that's when the, you know, the curve is almost straight up. And that's when technology can begin creating technology. That's when in one day you can have the inventions that took 100 years. And so many scientists have marked you know, the year 2045 as a year that history completely changes if we keep the same exponential curve that we have for the last 200 years. So that's a brief history of what's happened and where we're going, all right? Now, the question is, as Christians, how do we live in this world? Do we embrace it? Do we, uh, do we just try to ignore it like it doesn't exist, use it sparingly? Um, what role is technology supposed to have in our spiritual lives, Um, In particular, I want us to look at what role does social media have in our spiritual lives. And to answer this question, I want us to look at the big picture. So I want to go back to the beginning. If any of you have your Bibles, you could turn to Genesis, Bible apps, click to Genesis. Um, And we're going to look at chapters 1 and 2 to see when man was created and why they were created, what we were created to do. And what changed with the fall? Um, look at Genesis 1. We'll begin reading, uh, I'll read a few verses, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them, him, male and female, he created them. So we see here that man created on this last day of creation there is the pinnacle of creation. Man woman are the only only ones of God creation that are created in his image. When we come to Genesis 3, we see that God has put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's given them work to do. He's, uh, he's making them gardeners. Now, all gardening is, and we looked at this when we went through Genesis a couple years ago at Redeemer, all gardening is is taking the raw resources of the world, taking you know, the rocks, the, the soil, the sunlight, the seed, We're taking all of those things, and we're structuring them, and we're organizing them into something that becomes life-giving, something that becomes beautiful. So we're taking disorder, and we're making order, um, and we're taking things that aren't beautiful, and we're making them beautiful. We're making them life-giving. That's gardening. Um, And that's what Adam and Eve were to do. And, And of course, they did this with unbroken fellowship with one another and with God. Um, I love it. God is actually described in Genesis 3 as walking with them in the cool of the evening. I mean, how, how amazing is that, that Adam and Eve walked with God just in the cool of the evening? But it gives you this little glimpse into what you were created to do and whom you were created to enjoy. Um, You were made to be in the physical presence of God, and you were made to joyfully make beautiful and life-giving things all to the glory of God. All right? That's your purpose. We know Adam and Eve sinned, and I want us to read an account of what happened after they sinned. Go to Genesis 3, verse 7. And I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. All right. So after man sinned, the very first thing they did was they created something. Okay? The moment they sinned, the very first thing they did is like, now we're going to create something that we can use. It's a technology, if you will. They created something. And this is what they created. They invented something called clothes. All right, so the result of their sin, they sinned and now all of a sudden they felt ashamed. And they felt that they needed to hide themselves from one another. They could no longer look at each other fully and they no longer could bear God looking at them fully. And so they needed to partially hide themselves. And so they invented this thing called clothes. Now let's look at God's reaction to their sin. Um, well, the first thing he does is he curses the whole earth. Work instantly becomes a lot harder. Um, now gardening is going to be harder. Creating things that will become uh, beautiful, creating things that will become life-giving just became a lot harder. Then God does something unusual. Go to verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So the very first thing that Adam and Eve made after they sinned was clothes. The very first thing that God made after Adam and Eve sinned was clothes. But they did them two different ways and for two different reasons. All right? Notice that God made them out of animal skins. And what you see here is the very first redemptive act of God after creation, after sin. So Adam and Eve, they made clothes in order to hide from one another. In order to hide from God, God made clothes to protect them from a hostile world. Leather is a lot more durable. Leather is a lot more warm. And also another purpose. These clothes, the only way they could be made is if an animal died. Blood had to be shed for Adam and Eve to be clothed. And so what you're seeing here being implied is the first sacrifice. So God's first creative act after the fall is redemptive. Man's first was to hide himself from one another, to hide himself from God. God's first was to protect and to restore. Same thing, they made clothes to very different purposes, okay? And I want us to keep these two things in mind when we think of technologies. How we use them. That our first instinct as fallen man is going to be to use technology to hide from one another and to distance ourselves from God. Yet technology can be used redemptively. But please hear me, you don't just fall into it. All right? You don't just pick up, you know, an iPhone. You don't just start using your computer or whatever. And it, you naturally use it redemptively. You, you naturally go the other way. You naturally start using technologies to hide from one another, to hide from God. And I want us to always keep the garden in mind as we look at technology. Because we were made to enjoy unhindered relationships with one another. That's what we were made for. We were made to be face-to-face with one another. We were made to be face-to-face with God. Alright? Everything else is a result of the fall. Everything else that's not the face-to-face, not being in the presence, is a result of the fall. Um, Paul, he talks about this, you know, you hear it at every wedding when you get to the, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 12... And he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we see face to face when Christ comes. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. He's saying right now, we don't get to see Him face to face, and that's not as good. We were made to see Him face to face, and man, we long for that day. All right, so that's what we were made for. Alright, there's no kids here, are there? Little kids, not here. Alright, you can see this evening how God created procreation for humans. We're the only species that procreates, has sex, looking face-to-face, heart-to-heart. The only species that does this. He created us for face-to-face interaction. Alright? But since the fall... Our instinct is to hide. So realize, you know, whenever you're using Facebook or you're using Twitter, or you're using whatever, you're not really putting your real full self out there naturally. Naturally, you're trying to cover up, all right? Um, if I could press anything into this evening... Um, it would be that you need to ask questions when it comes to different technologies. Questions you need to ask. First, you need to ask the question, why? Why to every technology I, you are using? Ask, what real need does this help me meet? What is this redeeming? Is it redeeming anything? Anything? What problem, um, what was the problem to which this technology provides the solution? Sometimes the technologies we use are so far removed from the solutions they were originally invented for. Um, An example, my grandmother, um, she died a few years ago uh, at 98, but when she was in her upper 90s, I showed her an iPod. Blew her mind. I mean, just blew her mind. And she's like, so what is this? It's like a record player. It's like, yeah, it's like a thousand something record players here. And so you could, you could thousands of songs are on here. And she's like, really? And I'm, I'm showing her this. It's just, you know, blowing her mind. But she got it. She thought, that's amazing. You mean you can walk around in your hand and play any song, thousands of songs. I was like, I can't. And then I was showing her the phone, you know, about texting like, And so you could text, and she goes, so why would you want to do that? I was like, well, uh," she goes, I mean, you could just talk to people, can't you? (laughs) I was like, yeah, you're right. I I mean, and so it was great hearing her perspective, like, so what need does texting fix? And is that why you use it? Is that the original intent for you to using it? You know, is there some need, or is it just you know to? Uh, well, I'm not going to go there. Um, let me shift gears for a bit and discuss some of the benefits and some of the pitfalls or, or dangers of technology. Um, I'm not going to say the evils of technology, but just some things you need to be aware of. And then we'll have our Q and A time. Um. Before I talk about the benefit of technology, I need to define benefit. When I say a benefit of technology, I'm not saying what makes you feel good, what makes you happy, what you enjoy. That's not what I mean by benefit, all right? What I mean by benefit is something that better enables you to do what you were created to do, all right? A benefit is going to help you to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever for those Presbyterians out there. You know, Westminster Confession, question one. That, that's a benefit. Um, if you're not Presbyterian, you just want to be a Christian, you know, hear are Jesus. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So whatever helps you to do those things better is what I would call a benefit. Well the biggest benefit that I see to technology is its ability to distribute information. The internet has made it incredibly easy to access information. Um, I can, you know, get on Skype, which I've done before and I have talked to missionaries, taught a little seminary class to uh, some teachers in Peru on the other side of the world from my desk. I can convey information there. I mean, that's just, that's incredible that I could do that. Um, so the gospel can be preached to other sides of the world from your living room. Um, if you're sick, you can't make it to church, you can listen to a podcast and not miss the message. Um, I can go to, you know, I go to the Gospel Coalition's website. I go to Desiring God's website. I can find helpful articles that I can read that's going to shape the way I minister, shape the way I, uh, I'm i a husband or I'm a father. I can, I can access very good information. Um, and so, being able to access this quickly and at an unprecedented scale greatly affects my worship, um, my ministry. Um, it can even help me do things like, you know, fight injustices on the other side of the world. Alright? So, technology is wonderful at information pitfalls I'm going to go through a number of these not because I think there's more pitfalls than benefits but because I think these are the things we need to be aware of because like I said before our natural tendency is to go this way with with technology and I I feel like I need to just say this out there I'm not saying this from from a guy who's mastered this I'm not saying these are pitfalls y'all need to be aware of. I'm saying these are pitfalls we need to be aware of, okay? Number one, losing the ability to meditate on the Word of God. Losing the ability to meditate on the Word of God. God chose to communicate to us through a book. Don't forget that. Parts of the Bible, the Ten Commandments, He wrote Himself on the mountain in stone. So, this is huge for us. No no matter what technologies are available to us, we can never forget that God speaks to us. He has spoken and He speaks to us still through the meditation of His Word. I mean, this is going to sound a little dramatic, but I mean this. One of the goals for Lauren and I as a parent, and we have three little girls. One of our goals in education for our children is to one day get them to understand the Book of Romans. That's a goal of ours. Um, I would almost say that is the goal. All right? I will say it's the goal. Um, because Romans is like the, it's the pinnacle of. Of the Bible there. It's, it's what unpacks the gospel. It's, it's how we get to know God there. The problem is you can't understand Romans through light reading. You can never understand it by, uh, by reading a few minutes here, reading a few minutes there. You can never understand it if you treat it like you would read the newspaper, like you would read a blog, like you would read anything on Facebook. You'll never understand Romans if you treat it like that. Ever, You won't understand it if you, if you treat it like a blog in which you skim an article. Does anybody actually read articles anymore? I mean, honest, honestly, I don't. I mean, I say, yeah, I read that. Well, if I read that, my, I'm saying my eyes ran across the first page. I never went to the next or the next or the next. You know, I, I got the feel for it. Romans doesn't work that way. You don't just like run your eyes by it and get the feel for Romans. It doesn't work that way. With Scripture, you have to give it your full, undivided attention. And it's so easy today to get a lot of knowledge about a little thing, so we get this shallow knowledge from all around the world, like I, you know, I know the modern family cast, you know, who's asking for more money. I know the scores of all the gymnastics things. I know all of this. So we have all of this little, shallow information, but it's a lot harder to get deep, narrow information, which is Romans. And I taught on Romans last summer for our coffee house, and some of you might remember me saying this, but Romans was written to uneducated Gentile slaves. And it was understood. All right, and... Many of my friends have got their masters in theology. I'm I'm one of them, and it is hard for me to understand. Some of it is because I'm losing the ability to focus. But we have to because this is how God speaks to us. Um, Here's the difficulty we face when trying to meditate. By the time a digital native reaches the age of 20... They will have spent 20,000 hours on the internet, 20,000 hours on the internet, 10,000 hours playing video games. And so our brains are being shaped, these are the developmental years of a child, they're being shaped by the internet, being shaped by games, 30,000 hours there, okay? And this isn't me. This is just about any study you are going to read saying that this leads to a permanent, let me I'll quote, a permanent state of partial attention. Permanent state of partial attention. Our ability to devote ourselves to long periods of thoughtful reflection are in serious jeopardy. All right, now, let to see if I can demonstrate this. All right. I wanted to get a fishbowl. This is going to have to do. This is my brain right here, this uh, animal crackers thing. What what I did this morning, please say it's here, it is here somewhere, it is here, did somebody take all my stuff, my notes, I cut up, it fell out, my illustration is completely gone. (laughs) My scattered brain well it 's gone sorry i 'll just tell you the point, which will be so less effective. I, I went and I printed off every Facebook message I received this morning, um, and I cut them up into individual snippets, all right It was a total of twenty eight pages printed i don 't have that many friends i've no offense, but I have most of y'all on like mute or unsubscribe. I, I, I don't. I don't get all of them, and uh, and you know you're you're going to get things like, oh boy, sure do, sure do enjoy my coffee. Uh, cute kid, you know, cute kid, cute puppy, cute kitten. Um, you know, article about Chick Fil A. Twenty thousand responses to the article about Chick Fil A. And it's just, you're, you're constantly processing. I mean, it is off the charts. Everywhere, all of this stuff, you're just filling it and filling it and filling it. And so if you were to try to fill this, it's just, it's overflowing. Then I also read James 1 today. And if you just try to put that little sheet and, you know, kind of like stuff it in there. I also read John 4 today. Take that little sheet and just kind of stuff it in there. It just gets lost. All right? You get so much information. And now that's not counting the newspaper, the, the billboards, the things that you have to filter through. Um, the last study I read said that one hour of your day is spent reading just advertisements. One hour of your day. That's TV commercials. That's billboards. That's magazine articles. So really, if I were to say, do you want to spend one hour of your day just reading through advertisements, you'd be like, heck no, but we do. All right? And that's, that's the world we live in, all right? But because we're always having to process this all the time, we're living in the state of partial attentiveness. We're losing our ability to actually sit and focus and meditate. All right, second. I'll hurry through these. We lose, we're in danger of losing our ability to worship. A key aspect of worship is the ability to forget yourself and to be caught up in the beauty and the glory of God. The best worship is when there's not a thought about yourself. You're completely caught up in Him, alright? Now there's a pitfall... And technology that makes it really hard for us to do that, all right I, I love you too, and so I, last concert I went to there whatever gigantic claw thing on stage i 'm right up there, all right Bono at one point is running towards me. I mean, I could reach out and we touch him. everybody around me has cell phones up, every one of them videoing it, videoing the experience and so Bono comes, he's, he's singing, you know, as far away from me to James here, and, uh, and everybody's videoing it and videoing themselves going, he's right here, there he is, he's right here. And, and so, <laughs> this could be one of the greatest moments of their life, and they're missing it. They're not being caught up in the moment, they're too busy trying to share the moment, trying to, you know, capture the moment that they're actually not experiencing the moment. And so, for many of us, some of the greatest events in our life, we never actually saw with our eyes, we saw through a screen. Um, Our little girl, she's four, she did a ballet recital at the Alabama Theater. I was in charge of the video, video camera, I'm the video dad there. And so, uh, you know, I got the little video camera out there and here comes little Georgia Jane and as she's like a little butterfly or something, you know, going across the stage. And so I'm trying to like video this thing. I'm like, what am I doing? I want to see this. I don't, I don't want to look at it through a screen so I could somehow make a memory that I could somehow watch later through a screen. I want to get caught up in this moment and not miss it. And so I would rather have a bad video and I just kind of caught the moment and held it to the side. But but I feel that conflict. I feel it. Some of our worshipful moments are being lost. And I can say that for for a fact because I'll, I'll look on Facebook and I will get tweets that will appear on Facebook like this. Somebody's at a Desiring God conference or something and they'll tweet, John Piper is just killing it, man. He is killing it. Actual tweet there. (laughs) Or maybe John Piper says something profound, and so they have to tweet the very profound thing that John Piper just said. Now, here's the deal. Instead of hearing that profound truth and having it lead them into prayer, having it lead them into worship, having it lead them into meditation the very first thing it leads them to is to tweet. They're losing the moment. And so what should be, you've heard this truth and what should be directed to God in prayer is now being directed in a tweet to anyone. And then the moment passes. So instead of taking a moment and meditating on the truth spoken, having this transformative worship with the Lord We instead are thinking, how can I immediately broadcast it to everyone? All right? It's hurting our worship. Third, pulls us away from face-to-face contact. There's a danger or a pitfall of technology pulling us away from face-to-face contact. What many people now consider community was once previously just considered communication. All right? Let me repeat that. What many people now consider community was previously considered just communication in which communities are being formed by a shared interest, not by shared space. It's a radical shift in how community is being perceived now. It used to be you would share a space together, your community. Not anymore. Now we talk about, you no, know, if we share the same interests, the same likes on Facebook, if we go into the same chat rooms about the same thing, there's now a digital space in which we enter and we find community. Now, digital face, you know, has disembodied people, basically. You're not face to face with them. But face-to-face is what we were created for. Remember, man's first creation after he sinned was something to where he could hide. Many of us in here prefer texting to emailing. We prefer emailing to phone calling. We prefer phone calling to -to face-to-face. Many of us, face to face is the last thing we pursue, not the first. So, in a way, we're we're hiding. Sometimes, even when we're in the same room with people, we would rather we feel more comfortable opening our heart and sharing via text than we do face to face. Yet, that's inferior, it's not what you were created for. Technology can do um, a lot of wonderful things. You can call a friend on the other side of the world. Pretty amazing. But what I want you to do is anytime you use a technology like that and you say yes to that, ask yourself what you're saying no to every time you say yes to this. It's another important question you can ask. When I'm saying yes to this, what am I saying no to? by continuing to build a relationship in which it cannot be face-to-face, am I saying no to establishing the relationships that I can have face-to-face? Did you get that? Are you spending more time communicating to saying yes to establishing relationships that you cannot spend face-to-face at the neglect of building up relationships you can have? face to face. Um, Many times we give attention to a text rather than a friend that's in front of us. Alright? Jesus would not do this. Jesus did not do this. Read through the Gospels. And one thing that is going to hit you is Jesus gave people His full attention. I mean, there would be crowds pressing all around him. A little woman would touch him. He'd turn around like, who touched me? People are like, Jesus, we're in a hurry. We're in a hurry. We're in a hurry. He's like, no, you. He's in no rush. It's like he looks right at the woman. He converses with her. And, And the reason that Jesus would give people his full attention is because he would give God his full attention. And people are created in the image of God. Therefore, they deserve his full attention. And so, give priority to face-to-face because that is what you were created for. Fourth, make these last two points really quick. Um, technology, a pitfall of it, is that it can be really easy to set the world on fire. Chick-fil-A, that's all you really have to say. Wow, I mean, boom. Boom. Instant world controversy right there. Um, I'm, I'm starting a series on James this Sunday at church, you know, and James has the famous verse in chapter three. It says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And he's talking about the tongue. Well, technology can amplify that, it can be used redemptively, set the world ablaze for the gospel. But it's not our natural inclination. Our inclination is towards destruction. For those of you who blog, for those of you who tweet, for me who stands up here and speaks, let me just remind you of a few verses from Scripture Proverbs 18. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs 29. Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more more hope for a fool than for him. And Please hear these words from Jesus from Matthew 12. This terrifies me. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be judged. By your words, you will be condemned. I know a number of you have talked to me about You're like, ooh, I wish I didn't send that email. Ooh, I wish I didn't send that tweet. Ooh, I didn't. Because we're hasty and we don't think. Final pitfall. Technology can quickly become an idol. I bet a number of you panic if you leave your phone someplace. You you leave your phone at home and you you find yourself out and you're like, oh my gosh, I left my phone at home. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Like you lost an arm, you know, or that might be less traumatic because it's it's every much as part of your identity. It can be. What you have to realize is you Want to make things an idol. And by that I mean you want to have something that you can put your identity in, your hope in, your trust in. If you forgot your Bible someplace, are you going to have this panic attack? Oh my gosh, I left my Bible at church. I got to go 24 hours without it. You're like, no. It doesn't phase you. You forget your phone. Oh, no, I'm not in constant communication with everybody in the world. You just die. It's an idol. When it reaches that point in your life, call it for what it is. Say, God, you need to save me from this. All right? When Facebook is the first thing you have to turn to when you wake up, it's the last thing you look at when you go to bed, which is true for about 40% of the people on Facebook. Americans on Facebook, that's an idol. Scripture says meditate on him when you wake up and when you lie down. So you need to ask yourself, what am I going to early? What am I going to often? What are the things that I crave? All right? I'm going to end right there. Sorry I went five minutes long. Um, y'all take a break. Take a, we'll take an eight, ten-minute break. Think of some good questions, and then uh, we'll resume. For Q&A time, I say this every time, it's not stump the teacher, pretty easy to do. Um, and I'm also not speaking as an expert on this. Uh, I, I'm speaking as one who's, uh, who's researched it some, thought a lot about it, um, coming as a digital immigrant in this. Uh, hopefully we can learn from one another. Hopefully I can share some experiences that have helped. So, what questions do you guys have? My right, first question was, would Jesus have had a Facebook account? Uh, I don't know. My, my, I would suspect no. He actually does. Oh, he, I mean, he actually does. Yes. <laughs> Trick question there. Now, we'll say this about Jesus. Jesus had two social mediums available for him, public speaking, which he did. The other was writing. Jesus did not. Um, Jesus did not write anything to have his message distributed, which, which is really unique, if, if you think about it. Um, you know Even when he was in, at court, people were like, Jesus, you said this, you said this. You know, today, he'd be like, hey, check the past emails. I didn't. You know, but he, he couldn't do that. The, he didn't write anything. He was always face-to-face, contact. His followers now wrote a lot. His followers wrote a lot. So maybe they would have used Facebook, but I don't know if, if Jesus would have. I don't know. Great question. Hi, anybody else? MySpace, certainly not. Um, go ahead. Can you talk more about the changes you saw in college students? Okay, the, the question is, would I talk about the changes I saw in college students? Okay. Uh, we'll talk about the invention of podcast. Um, when, when I did UCF, When we began podcasting our messages, attendance went down. And one of the things we heard from students is, well, I could just listen to it in my car. I can have church in my car now. And it really, to them, devalued the need to do as Hebrews says don't neglect to assemble together. All right? And so I saw saw that for sure at UCF. Um, as podcasts would rise, that uh, attendance goes down. And you you hear that at churches all over the place. And we've debated about whether taking podcasts off our website or not. And we've kind of weighed the pros and cons, and we're like, well, all right, we're going to keep it up there. Um, Because it is a good way to communicate some information. Um, The problem is, you know, podcasts, I think Piper might have even recently written about this, a a podcast isn't going to visit you in the hospital. A podcast isn't going to come to pray for you when you're in need. podcast doesn't do those things. And uh, so if people remove themselves from that, they're going to hurt. So I saw that change for sure. Um, and I, I guess things exploded a lot more quickly with, with social media. Um, you know, certain things would become... Uh, hot a lot quicker. (laughs) I mean, Facebook instantly, something like a a little Bible study, this is a good thing, could explode in growth. You know, where before it was word of mouth when word of mouth meant you actually had to go to somebody and talk to them. Now word of mouth became you just post it and like you get everybody's response. And so um, you actually see a greater turnover in college ministries now because so many flare up real quickly then die down. Flare up real quickly, then die down. But that's just the nature of the beast with social media. Things can grow really, really fast until something else all of a sudden grows as well. Um, two of the, the others you know, would be the things I've seen There's worship, obviously, falling down and the way we relate to one another. And in the year 2007, um, I helped design and build a student center that many of y'all went to, the UCF House, University Christian Fellowship House, and I remember we have this great living room in there. We thought this is where students from all different campuses are going to come together. going to be able to spend time with one another. And I remember I went there one time, and every chair and couch was filled by, the, by a fireplace. We actually had, you know, fire going in there as wintertime. Every one of them had their earbuds in. Every one of them totally isolated in their own world. And I was like, they might be in the same space, but it's not their community their community is elsewhere. And uh, so that would be a difference that I saw. Good question. Marty. Okay, I'll try to phrase the question so everybody can hear it. For certain social media, you mentioned Twitter. Basically, how can we use that in a productive way if we have addictive tendencies? That it's, I mean, we can, is that pretty much what you're saying? Okay. Um, that's very hard I'll confess something this happened yesterday I'm feast or famine Lauren and all the girls made chocolate chip cookies yesterday if I didn't see any fine I'm not hungry okay (laughs) at all if I even see them before me I might want to eat them but I can restrain myself if I have one I'm having them all (laughs) And that's just, that is the way I'm wired. And I hate myself after I do it. It's like, I can't stop. I just, I ate like all the cookies. You know, the kids are like, what happened to the cookies? Like, I ate them all. (laughs) And then I blame others for making the cookies. I'm like, and it's y'all's fault. You know, you're supposed to make cookies and hide them. Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So, so for me, I realize the danger, and I've got to just quit. I can't have the first one. Some people, I think, need to react the way if, let's say Facebook is your addiction. For some, if Facebook is such an addiction and you know it's that, I would suggest going cold turkey. Because it's really hard just to put those parameters and restraints. I think most people can, but if you have a very addictive personality, cold turkey. Problem is, a lot of people with work, they're like, this is, this is part for work, and I would say you would need to talk to your boss and say, can I lay out parameters for when I have to have a phone, when I have to be doing this, and when I, when I don't, um, and just stick to that. Um, it's hard now because, I mean, people used to say when technology, with all the advances in it, that the workday was going to shrink, we were going to become a paperless society, you know, that we were going to now have the 25-hour work week, and it was all the opposite, um, because of the curse. Remember, it's harder. <laughs> it's harder to be productive and life-giving. And technology's not going to save us, but the Lord will. And so, uh, if anything, it's amplified our problems because technology amplifies what's in your heart. Go ahead. Uh, what, what do you think the addiction to technology is rooted in? Like what, what types of sin are uh, cause us to want to constantly check Facebook or Twitter or whatever? All right, the, the question is, what is the, uh, the sin or the addiction rooted in that causes us to the need for Facebook? Narcissism yeah, yeah. I think narcissism would be some about it, that the world needs to hear my thoughts. Um, and we con ourselves into thinking, well, let me phrase it this way. We used to write down in private in a journal what we would later reflect on. Now we post it for public, things we will never reflect on. And so it's changed. We instantly get something, we think we're going to post it, but we never even think about it. Where before we used to write it in private, and we'd revisit it and and, and meditate over it. And and so we've, that's narcissistic, it really is. That's what Proverbs was talking about, the the need to express your opinion quickly and put it out there. Um, Second, I would say it's really an identity issue in which we value our worth by how many likes we get, how many responses we get, um, just how many friends we have. And basically, the affirmation of God is not enough. We don't find our worth in Him, it's worth in what everybody else thinks on us. I think that's a, that's a huge issue there. When you feel like you have to be hearing from other people and you panic, if you're like, you know, I posted that and not one person liked it, you know, well, what about you and the Father? You know, so I, I think those are the two things right there. I mean, I've, I've also noticed, like, Okay, the question is like what about like always wanting to see what others are doing? Um, and I I'm probably gonna use the wrong lingo here because I'm not fluent in this, you know, with Pinterest or or what is the other thing? Somebody opened an account for me. Uh, that they were saying, I didn't know you opened it. I didn't. I think one of my girls did. Yeah. Caroline did. <laughs> yeah. With your help. And everybody's like, Joel, are you on Pinterest? Or like... I- uh, blame Nikki. All right, you did it. I-, I think some of that is... I mean, it's a sin where, you know, women in particular, let me just jump on that, are always comparing themselves. Always. Uh, for instance, I was at the J the other day, our Jewish community center, working out... And every woman that went by, the guys weren't checking them out. all the girls were. Every girl who went by, I would see the girls who were on their eyes go up, down, up, down. Look at every girl who walked by. The guys weren't doing it. Girls were checking on other girls because they're comparing themselves. The guys didn't care, you know but girls, they have that tendency to do that. And so there's this need to put forward like perfection constantly, in which uh, you'll put the perfect photo. You'll put up the perfect kitchen, you're going to put up the perfect everything out there, and what it does is other people are drawn to it and then they're killed by it because they can never live up to it. And, and women are doing that more than men. Men do that some, but women are out there just killing themselves by comparison because everybody's projecting a false image of themselves. Once again, it's hiding. This isn't who they are. Um, And Lauren can testify about this, that, you know, one of the odium sanctums when the women come over to her house and they're like, your life is perfect. She goes, go to my laundry room. And they go to our laundry room. They see it's an absolute total disaster. It's where we threw everything. And all the the women were like, yay, you know. It's like, there's not the standard of perfection. It's like, yes, there's not. We're all fallen, okay. So uh, there you go. Any other questions? accustomed to that kind of mode of thinking, what would you say is a way, would be a good way to cultivate kind of that meditative, prayerful thought? Again? Okay. If you find yourself with a very short attention span, what are ways to start cultivating um, more long attention thoughts? I, there are some things you're just going to have to cut out because they don't lend themselves to it. Um, whether it's TV, limiting yourself to TV, screen time. Uh, the average American adult spends nine hours a day in front of a screen. Nine hours a day. Now, if I were to just tell you, hey, would you like to spend nine hours of your day in front of a screen? you would be like, heck no. But but it happens. 25% of that time is before multiple screens. All right? And so now you're at, you know, two and a half to three hours, basically looking at multiple screens during a day. All right, that leads to ADD, spiritual ADD, relationship ADD. How do you overcome that? One of the things I would say is first fruits. Let your first fruits of the day be quiet moments before the Lord because it's the easiest time. And so, if that's getting up early, which means going to bed early, um, and just getting up early and say, These are the first fruits. And let me tell you, it's going to be hard because I've begun developing ADD as social media progressed. When I was doing college ministry, never had it before, and all of a sudden I started getting to where I noticed it took me longer to get into the Word, to where my first 15 minutes of Bible study were an absolute waste. I was like, I would get there, I would read the same paragraph over, 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 and if you could have asked me after 10 minutes of reading the same paragraph over, tell me what you read, I'd have been like, I have no idea. You know, and I don't know if any of you can relate to that. And when it do, does, you just have to take time. So I'm going to keep doing this until I can start hearing your voice. And I'll say something that Lauren and I have done. It's been a source of frustration and fulfillment in our marriage. Um, we, we think of our priorities, all right, in which, you know, Bible study, you know, time of prayer, face to face are our priorities. We've structured our house to reflect those priorities. So if you go into our house, you know, many of y'all have, in our living room, there's not a TV, there's not a computer. What you're going to find is a Bible by, by two of our chairs. And that's the room we spend most of our time on. And so our house is structured to reflect that. We're not against email, we're not against the internet, we're not any of those things. But now if we want to use the internet, we have to go upstairs, we have to go to a study, we have to pull down our computer because we keep it up on a shelf, You know, put it down there and open it. It just takes more to do to get to it. And what that does is it prevents some of the ADD of like every time you're walking by, you're like, ooh, I, could, I, just, I just need to check this. Ooh, I just need to check this. It's no longer that. It's now harder to get to. And so we've tried to structure it to where that happens. And even little things like our upstairs, we try to keep a sanctuary, we leave our cell phones downstairs, and we leave our home phone downstairs. So when we go upstairs, it's off. You know, um, This hasn't worked that well. This is a goal of ours. We do okay. We try to do something called Vespers, and which we put to bed today, the day. So after dinner, we can have a final check if we need to of email or whatever, but then we put the day to bed. And so, around seven o'clock, after that, we're not allowed to check email. You know, the Facebook. We're not allowed to open up the computer. Um, Lauren broke that last night. <laughs> I, I remember I was it was ten thirty. and I'm laying in bed and I hear Lauren brush her teeth, which means she should be coming right to bed. And she brushed her teeth and it's like. She's not coming to bed. And I knew, and Lauren knew. I walked in the other room and I hear the little laptop close out. <laughs> and I said, I'm talking about the technology tomorrow night. <laughs> no, we laughed about it. But uh, it's hard for us to do that. We still wrestle with that because we still find our identity in some of those things. Um, but we try to just say we've got to put a limit to that. And then that enables us to unwind. Into focus on our children, on each other. Um, and I'll just say, as a parent, for you parents out there, your children notice you looking at a screen instead of them. All right? Your children are watching. And how many times, for you, those of you who have had kids, have they said, Mommy, Daddy, would you put, put your computer down? All right? Don't let that happen, you know. And some of that is by keeping your computer in a certain place where it's not in the main area where you guys are going to be with your kids. All right, good. All right. The question is, you know, how do you communicate to people who expect instant response? And we were actually talking about this before with, with some people. Like some people text me and they expect instant an instant response. Sorry, it, it just it's not going to happen. I mean, sometimes if if I'm available or whatever, but I'm not throwing law down here. I'm just, I'm I'm falling in this. But for me, if I'm ever talking with somebody and my phone rings or if I get a text, I'm not looking at it, all right? I'm not going to look at it. Priorities face-to-face, all right? And so I'm going to keep that um, because I'm not going to have, give the partial attention. Um, And so I set email typically... I check my email in the morning, typically right before I go home. And sometimes I do it right around lunch. I usually about three times I'm going to check my email. Uh, I don't know the answer to that because people get ticked off at me. And, and I've talked to the elders of the church about it. I said, should I put on there a, res- a thing that you know, basically says, Joel, is not that I'm on vacation, but only responds to his emails <laughs> in these hours. Puts limits to it. Um, that way you're not the beck and call of everyone. yeah 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 I mean I'm I tell people you know in a loving way I'm not at your beck and call you know I'm not so anybody else Yeah. Yeah, well, this that should be what points to Jesus. We have no shared interest other than Christ, and we're a community. Alright, that's that's the disciples. You know, and we looked at that at church. When you have a zealot and then you have a tax collector, two people who hated and wanted to kill one another, they're Jesus' disciples loving one another. That points to community, and so or it points to Christ. So our community should reflect that to where they look and they're like they're not together because of any other shared interest. They're together because of Jesus. Um, as for, I'm trying to think, what was the, the rest of your question about how do we foster that? Was that, or? Yeah, what? You have to foster it intentionally. Community does not happen, especially now. All right, first century Judaism apart from Jesus, apart from the Holy Spirit, had a community most of us would die for. Alright? Because they just lived right next to it. It was like a college dorm. Alright? Their, their, their houses are so close to one another. They went to the same stores. They're, they're always with one another. Yet somehow in that environment, when Christ came, when they were filled with the Spirit, even those peoples now looked at the disciples and were like, that's community. That's community it was even so radically different than a community we would look at and envy. Um, So we have to realize we're so far off the charts and being individualistic and being away from that community, it's hard for us to even relate. So there is a lot of redemption that has to start. And so don't think for a moment you fall into it. Community has to be something you fight for um, just to even to get at what it was at Judaism before Christ and before the Holy Spirit. I mean, you have to fight for those things. Um, and so, you know, one of the ways we're structured is, you know, we have a community group, which is just the touchstone. It's not the community in all and be all. But it's a touchstone. This is going to be an intentional time that believers gather together. Um, and sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes they're great. But it's going to be intentional, and we're going to keep doing it. Anybody else? I Um I'd say it's harder. Because living in a digital age has made it harder to focus. That's just a reality. You deal with more distractions now than ever. One of the things that ticks me off about a lot of churches is they bring those distractions into the church as well. Um, another story, though. So, yes, I think it is harder for people now. You know, and it's just how do you just shut it all off? And the only way is to try to get in a regular habit just try, force yourself to get in the habit, realizing a lot of your time is going to be wasted, but just say, well, that's going to be like a wasted sacrifice before the Lord, and I'm going to keep doing it and keep doing it. It's like when people say they're struggling with prayer life, I'm struggling praying, and they say, what should I do? I'm like, pray. That's what you should do. Just keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. You know, and, And then you'll begin to break through. Uh, the question is, why do I think Jesus came 2,000 years ago instead of now when it could have been, shoot, one tweet, everybody in the world? Um, I don't know. I mean, I could just speculate. You know, you, you look through Mark, and when he got a huge crowd, he told people, shh, be quiet. Did not want what tended to be the popularity that came with that. Um, some of y'all might have heard of Malcolm Muggeridge. He worked for the BBC. He was a famous reporter, journalist. Um, he wrote a book called Christ in the Media, which explores the question. He, he paints a scenario of the fourth temptation. He said the fourth temptation was Lucifer Enterprise paper. Uh, came, or TV, whatever, broadcast, came and offered Jesus the temptation of broadcasting his message live to the masses. And he, he writes just about why Jesus would reject that um, and, uh, and stick with the personal face-to-face. And, but all I can do is just speculate. There's no, I'm not going to point to a Bible, Scripture, or verse, or whatever. So I don't know. It's not like people would believe them anymore, you know, now or not. So. Anybody else? Now I want to talk about Angry Birds. Anybody? All right. the question was how can we shepherd children kind of in this digital age? It's a very important question because I said like, my goal is able, for my kids to be able to understand Romans. Which means they have to understand logic, they have to be able to reason, they have to be able to have long times of concentration. And uh, sometimes it means that we're the jerk parents. Um, and that we greatly limit TV um, to them. There's, we're just not gonna bombard them with those images. They have to ask if they're ever going to use a computer, you know, and we're going to sit and even limit that time as well. Um, but more importantly than the "don'ts, don'ts, don'ts," which can usually come back to, to bite you, you need to tell them the do's, dos, do's. And for us, it's teaching our kids a love for reading, um, and which is exhausting as a parent. I mean, I'll just tell you, it is exhausting. Because you're like, I want to read another book. You're like, all right, you know, just going to read. You know, little Natalie, she's six years old and she read, what was it, 111 books this summer. You know, she went through and just, you know, with, with me with her for most of those. You know what I mean, it's tiring as a parent. But if you give them a love for reading and the ability to, to go through that, that's going to translate into the Bible. Don't forget, God decided to communicate through a book, not through art, not through a visual. He gave us a book and words. Um, and so you have to have the ability to read and to process and understand. That's what we do. And, and try to... Um, Gordon uh, Bowles, who spoke a couple of coffee houses ago, he gave us advice one time about trying to teach our kids about Jesus. He said, remember, you are Jesus to your kids. You know, until like the age of... What was the age? 10? 11? It's like more than anything you teach them, it's, it's how you relate to them. And so show them they're important, not a screen. Um, and so they're going to feel that, and that's how they're going to feel like God relates to them. Good question. Once again, we don't do this perfectly. We are like every family that struggles with this and wants to pull our hair out, you know. Anybody else? Did he say it? older? Illiterate. An illiterate person can have a... Yes, they have to more if they hear the Word. You know, if, if they can hear the Word of God preached, yes. But they cannot know God apart from the Word of God. Cannot. I mean, Paul makes that explicit. He's like, how will they know unless they hear and unless we go and we preach to them? And so whether it's spoken to them or whether it's read... Um, So, but they need that, what we would call special revelation. Anybody else? Angry birds? Anybody want to talk about angry birds? (laughs) Has no redemptive quality whatsoever, right? Redemptive quality. Now, I think you should always ask of a technology, what was it made for? You know, what was the problem? It was created to fix um, and anyway, just kind of think about why, why Angry Birds was created or what problems it fixes or, I'm not going to go there, but if you want to go there, go ahead. I think just what? Some are just no, some things are just fun. It's great. No, we were talking about this, I mean, as a staff, it, like, entertainment's not bad. Entertainment's not bad. Entertainment can become an idol, it can become a god, and When you look at, in Deuteronomy, what we're supposed to do to when we sit down, when we stand up, when we, you know, go to bed, when we're walking, you know, all these things we're supposed to have the Word of God before us. Most people, if they're standing in line, let's say getting coffee, and they have to wait for a minute, one minute, they feel the need to entertain themselves. They've got to get out something and entertain and I think that tells a lot about us. We are so scared to death to be silent with our own thoughts and with the Lord. And so we have to have something to always occupy us. Um, why not, if you're going to have your phone, get some Bible app that at least just pops up a Bible verse. So every time you're in line? you can kind of meditate on this. Just something to where you have the Word of God before you. Have, yeah, some. Yes. All right. The question is, have we lost some of our ability to communicate, even books, because we're not going face-to-face? Yes. Because even Paul writes about that. He says, I write to you these things. He goes, but how I long to be with you face-to-face and talk about these things in person. I mean, Paul says that. So he's writing Scripture, um, and I wish my, just left me where it's at. Uh, is it 1 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians? Any pastor want to, Anybody? I hate it when I quote something and I can't register it in my head. Yeah, yeah, check, check my dead phone. Uh, uh, anyways, like, I'm writing these things to you, but how I long to communicate these things to you face to face. And actually, like the letters, when they were written, you know, Paul would dictate a letter, and let's say he would send it with Timothy or Titus or somebody to go read to a church. And so Titus would go and read the letter, and then he would respond to the questions. All right, you've, you've heard this. Do you have any questions about this letter, so like he had with the letter the power to explain the letter in a face to face context um and so that's you know one of the things hopefully preaching does as well yeah. Y'all, yeah. It should be translated y'all. Yeah. I would deal so much with college students and college ministry to say, hey, all I need is me and the Holy Spirit. And be like, well, that's great. But you know, like in 1 Corinthians, when it says you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, it's y'all are a temple of the Holy Spirit is when you collectively gather together, the Spirit of God blows through your midst. And it's not you and your car becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit. One more. Anybody? Alright. Well, I, I hope this was helpful to you. L- let me reiterate once again, I'm not speaking... To you, I'm speaking to us learning through this, especially as a parent struggling to raise kids in this age. Um, As the staff at Redeemer could tell you, struggling to not be the grumpy old man who just wants to throw out all technology um, and bury my head in the sand. I'm trying to be the digital immigrant of uh, asking the right questions while using this hopefully redemptively. Um, At least that's the voice I'm trying to come from. Let me pray for us, and uh, and then we'll go. Our Father, we thank You that we get to call You Father, that You sent Your Son who broke His body in order to create this body and uh, to create this community um, that is not based on any shared interest, but is based on His blood. And we give You thanks for that. And we ask for your Holy Spirit that he would be our guide and that he would give us wisdom as to how we could deal um, with this digital age, how we could deal with all the distractions, all the technologies, how we can use them in a redemptive way. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.